It is Spirit Mornings here on the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. Are you ready for scripture? I know you are. And of course, one of the great ways we get to know him more is through his word, the Holy Scriptures. And on that note, we welcome in Sharon Dorn from the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study here in Omaha. Good welcome. morning, good morning. He has risen. Hallelujah. He has risen indeed. Happy Easter. You too, Bruce. All right. My dad used to, we used to parade around the house at midnight uh-huh. on after Easter vigil. My mom would cook bacon and eggs and we'd get out pots and pans and bang them bang with, <laughs> with spoons. And my dad would say, he has risen. And all of us kids would say, he has risen indeed. And my dad would say it louder. He has risen. He has risen indeed. So we still call each other on Easter morning and, and, and say, he has risen. And, you know, it's just, it's just, isn't it a great time of celebration? It is, absolutely. And uh, so much so that uh, Mother Church recognizes we need an octave for this one. So Yeah. How about 50 this. days? Yeah, 50 say, uh, days. Say happy Easter uh, for sure. Right. Yeah, right through uh, Pentecost. That's right. All right, well, the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study is uh, wrapping up, John, mm-hmm. and uh, you're going to be moving into Genesis coming up this fall. Yeah, it's you know it's really foundational to, to start at the beginning. And uh, I know some people aren't used to studying Old Testament, but we'll see Christ on every page, and we'll see the fulfillments and the covenants, and, and uh, it's just beautiful to go back and forth. That is uh, the Catholic way to the, the unity of the two Testaments. So I'm so excited, and we're filling up fast. I'm not surprised. Yeah, you, you and announced it for us last time I was here, and uh, we just opened the website that day, and, and 188 people have wow. signed up to take the class. So we have about 30 more spots. So if you'd like to take the class with us starting next September, uh, please go to our website at seekingtruth.net. And I want to tell all your listeners, Bruce, that we have a distance learning program. So if oh, okay. you're in Grand Island, my hometown, or Norfolk, or Lincoln, uh, you can take it online with us. And uh, we're buying a lot of new equipment this summer through some generous uh, donations, and and uh, it'll be an instant download. It should work on every computer. You'll see the full lecture, all the pictures and images. I use about 170 slides every lecture. So if you're a visual learner, I mean, you can do it with your family. If you homeschool, it could, I mean, it's just it's just a great option to use uh, that digital sea out there, yeah, like our take, like our Holy Father take asks that us technology. to. Take it back. Yep. Take it back for Christ. So anyway, check us out at uh, SeekingTruth.net. All right, very good. Well, uh, the last time we were together, we were uh, near the backside of Lent and mm-hmm. uh, working our way through John 18, and uh, we're going to uh, move ahead or, you know, kind of uh, stay with it here as long as uh, we are in Easter. And, yeah, uh, that's the beauty of, beauty of live radio, yes, right? It is. We can do what we want. So, so uh, let's. Uh, I want to get into John 20, John chapter 20 today, but I just kind of I, I, that chapter to me that is. Christ is in a new garden. It's the risen Christ. And uh, I think of the verse from Revelation 21, verse 5, Behold, I'm making all things new. Mm -hmm. And that's what Christ has done, and that's what he does still. And uh, Jesus Christ is just the fulfillment of all. He's the recapitulation. He's making all things new. And uh, so looking... um, 
like Hugh of St. Victor said, all divine scripture is one book, and this one book is Christ, and it speaks of Christ and finds its fulfillment in Christ. And I love uh, how the Catechism of the Catholic Church tells us about the unity of these two testaments, the Old and New, at, at paragraph 128. The Church, as early as apostolic times and then constantly in her tradition, has illuminated the unity of the divine plan in the two testaments through typology, which discerns in God's work of the Old Covenant prefigurations of what he accomplished in the fullness of time in the person of his incarnate son. So we use the Old Testament. We see how Christ has fulfilled it in the New. And uh, Augustine said that uh, the New Testament lies hidden in the Old, and the Old Testament is unveiled in the New. So just in this Easter season, we see how Christ is making all things new. And he really uh, lets us use our human senses to encounter him. Mm-hmm. All things are made new. And he knows, he knows, he made us. We're made through him. He spoke the word and all things were made. And so he knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows that we need our human senses to experience him because we're human. That's right. And I love how uh, in John's first letter, 1 John 1, he says that what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at, what we have touched, with our hands. So, I mean, this is a real sensual thing. And when when uh, I was at the Easter Vigil and uh, I was at the Newman Center in Lincoln, Nebraska at the, uh, with Father Matia and Father Holdren, and I, I got the privilege and honor of being a sponsor for a beautiful young lady that was entering the Catholic Church that night. Beautiful. And it was glorious being up on the altar experiencing, they had 26 uh, young college kids coming into the church and just experiencing those sacraments firsthand, especially having studied the Book of John this year. And and you hear those bells pealing during the Gloria, just con- you know, you just and mm-hmm. all the Alleluia's and and the water baptism was trickling down the candidate's head, and the oil of confirmation was on their foreheads, and and it, the church was dark at first, and then the glow of light with the candles, and you could right. feel the wax in your hand, and you could smell the incense, and I mean, all the senses become engaged when we encounter Christ. He knows us, and 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 I just think that's so powerful. And then and then that strongest sense of of taste when. And uh, the risen Lord is laid upon our tongue when we come up to have full communion and and full recognition of the risen Lord. Mm-hmm. It was so powerful. So um, John here in, in this chapter is just showing us that Jesus is creating something new. And... Uh, 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 what it's he started it right off the bat with the prologue in the gospel in right. the beginning was the word the word was with god it, it's it's right off the beginning and immediately in john 2 you remember bruce when we uh, reviewed the wedding feast at cana mm-hmm. and it was on the third day but there were four days before that so it was really on the seventh day and a new creation was starting to happen and uh the the old wine was going to be turned into new messianic wine and amos had predicted that when Messiah comes, the wine will flow down the mountains. And uh, remember Mary saying, they have no wine. And, and Jesus looking at her and, and saying, you know, do you know what you're asking? Because if if we start this up now, my hour, we're yeah. going to start, the, you know, we're going to start the clock, Mom, and, and my hour will come. And the hour of glory is going to be my hour on the cross. And then he immediately clears the temple. Already in chapter 2 in John, that new temple is going to, he's going to, he is the presence of God. He's God himself. And the Jewish people had, had always come to the old temple. That's where the presence of God was. Right. And so Jesus says, I'm the new temple. And and uh, he had much zeal, zeal for my 
father's house will consume me, that that quote from uh, Psalm 69.9. And he said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it in three days. But the Jews said, well, it took 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken because he's making all things new. It, it, they're not going to get it back there in John 2, but they're going to get it now. He's the new temple. And um, in John 19, when they came and found that Jesus was already dead on the cross and they did not break his legs, but instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear and suddenly a flow of water and blood came forth. And, and we see later that that met the prophecy from Isaiah 53, 5, that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. And it also fulfilled Zechariah 12, verse 10, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Years and years and years before that was predicted. Mm -hmm. And then how he's made all things new, Zechariah 13 will go on to say that on that day, a fountain, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. So uh, a fountain, and John's the one who tells about the spear in his side and this gush of water and blood. And and, and Zechariah's predicted that this fountain is going to come from, from the uh, house of David. And so all these things, just putting all these pieces together, uh, I can imagine on the road to Emmaus when Jesus opened the scriptures to them and their hearts were burning within them. As all, you know, all these things, they still don't recognize him though. It won't be till the breaking of the bread. And so together, those two things, the liturgy of the word and the breaking of the bread, we get our fullness, fullest, fullest, fullest recognition of Christ. And so, um, uh, Pope Benedict is going to quote um, Irenaeus in his new document, Verbum Domine, and he says, Those who do not share in the Spirit do not draw from the bosom of their mother, the church, the food of life. They receive nothing from the purest fountain that flows from the body of Christ. Just as the Word of God comes to us in the body of Christ, in His Eucharistic body, and in the body of the Scriptures, through the working of the Holy Spirit, so too it can only be truly received and understood through that same Spirit. So when Christ unleashes the Spirit on the world, and we get that full, fullness of understanding with the help of His Word and the Eucharist together, just that fullness of recognition of Christ, all our senses engaged. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's beautiful, and uh, the, the the readings that we get, of course, uh, during the Easter octave particularly, I mean, we have that uh, Emmaus reading, and uh, that's one of my favorites, you know, because ah. at first they're like, you know, looking at Jesus like, you know, what did you come under a rock, you know, I mean, how can you yeah. not know what's going on? Yeah. And, you know, he's breaking open the scriptures, and finally in the breaking of that bread, mm -hmm. you know, they recognize the Lord. I mean, that's the Eucharist. It is the source, the summit. It's the central tenet of our faith. Absolutely. Yeah. And then everything starts making sense. And they, it, only Luke records that story on the mm -hmm. road to Emmaus, and then he vanishes. I mean, and, and that they don't recognize him. It's, and like you said, have you been living under a rock? I mean, surely, don't you see me? I mean, he had to have looked different. Yeah. And, I, and I'm wondering how many times do we not recognize him? You know, mm -hmm. 
like like he lives in others and some there he lives in the beggar on the street he lives in the woman in the grocery store he lives at the guy in the parking lot that's cutting me out he lives mm-hmm. he lives he's alive in us how many times do we not recognize him but but in the fullness of both together at mass in the liturgy of the word the liturgy of the eucharist the fullness recognition we can have of christ well, Sharon, we've been talking this morning about Jesus making all things new, some Old and New Testament connections, and uh, let's visit uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church here to uh, set the table for our next little journey. Uh, Christ's whole life, a mystery of recapitulation. Uh, everything that Jesus did, said, and suffered had for its aim restoring fallen man to his original vocation. Uh, when Christ became incarnate and was made man, he recapitulated in himself the long history of mankind and procured for us a shortcut to salvation so that what we had lost in Adam, that is, being in the image and likeness of God, we might recover in Christ Jesus. Mm, I love that. Yes. Uh, recapitulation. He's making all things new again. So so in Genesis 2, we're told that for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. So God is literally pulling a bride from the side of the old Adam. Now in the New Testament, God is going to pull a new bride from the side of the new Adam, Jesus Christ, as he sleeps on the cross. A new bride, his spouse, the church, will be pulled from his side, and the sacraments of initiation will flow from his side, the water of baptism, the blood of the Eucharist, because Christ and his bride, the church, are one. Mary stands at the foot of the cross. She's the universal spiritual mother of the universal church. John is also at the foot of the cross, uh, a new priesthood. He's giving John to protect and defend his mother and the church. So, so Bruce, all of us are called into this this church and and to be a part of this priestly people mm-hmm. catechism 1591 through baptism all the faithful share in the priesthood of Christ that's called the common the common priesthood and and what is important there is that we all are to participate in this mission of Christ. The mission is, is conferred on all of us. Yes, on holy orders to priests, they have an, an incredibly important task, but all of us get this task of mission. Mm-hmm. So us lay people too, we're supposed to be telling people we are ordered, there's a task we're supposed to tell, we participate in this common priesthood, in the mission of Christ to spread his good news. Peter tells us, 1 Peter 2, you are a chosen people, a royal priest to a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellence of him who has called you out of the darkness into this marvelous light. So so uh, we are called too. He's making all things new. St. Ambrose said, when we take up the sacred scriptures in faith and read them with the church, we walk once more with God in the garden. Mm. So we're back to this garden. And I like to think of it as a new Easter garden, a brand new garden. And uh, this is where Mary Magdalene saw Jesus Christ. She thought he was the gardener, the gardener where Mary Magdalene first sees the risen Christ in John chapter 20. Um, and and uh, from his side will come water and blood, the water of baptism flowing from this new temple, Jesus Christ. Remember back in John 4 when he told the foreign woman at the well, the first one he, he reveals himself to in John's gospel, and he, and he tells her that everyone who drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks the water that I give will never thirst. That water I give will become a well of water springing up to eternal life. And so then at the very end of the Bible in Revelation 21, then he said to me, says John, 
done. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. So, so Jesus mm-hmm. is just making all things new. And in Lent, we had that reading from uh, Ezekiel 47, and it's kind of obscure. This man uh, goes with a measuring line, and he measures off a thousand cubits, and the water's ankle deep, then another thousand, and it's knee deep, another thousand, it's waist deep. Do you remember that reading? Oh, I sure do. Another thousand, yeah. and, and he can't even cross the river because it's a gushing torrent. And, and he asks, Son of man, do you see this? Well, Jesus Christ is this new river of life. And uh, Ezekiel 47 goes on to say that swarms of living creatures will live wherever that river flows. Swarms of living creatures, wherever that water of Christ, that water of baptism, wherever the church is, wherever that flows, swarms of living creatures. And it says there will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes salt water fresh so that wherever this river flows, every will live. Fishermen will stand on the shore. There are going to be places for spreading their nets, and the fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. Well, uh, uh, a fulfillment of that is in John 21, mm-hmm. where uh, where Jesus appears to them again, the risen Christ, for the third time in John's gospel, and he tells them to cast the net on the right side of the boat, and they'll catch a number of fish. And, and they do. They can't even haul it in. There's 153 fish. That would be representative, Jerome tells us. That's every living known species of fish at the time. Uh, and, and those nets don't break. Before when they brought a, a large load in, when he first calls them, I think it's Luke 5, the nets, the nets break. But now, now the nets don't break. Mm-hmm. He's going to make them fishers of men. That's what he told them. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And then Ezekiel 47 goes on to say that there's going to be all sorts of fruit trees growing on the banks of this river. So there's a river of life. And then there's these fruit trees. And the fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. So then Revelation Revelation 22, at the very end of the Bible, tells that John says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river, stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are the healing of the nations. Mm. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Now, that's a huge fulfillment, and a, and a lot of people don't don't go there. But Eucharist, Eucharist is going to be a worldwide blessing. Eucharist is the leaves of this tree of life that's healing for all the nations. God had promised Abraham way back in, in Genesis 12 that he would make him a great nation and bless him and make his name great, and, and he would bless the whole entire world. All the families of the earth would be blessed through him. And Jesus Christ is going to come from that line, from Abraham's seed. Jesus Christ will undo the curse, and, uh, and it'll be a continual blessing and food to the nations coming from Abraham's blood. The leaves of this new tree of life are for the healing. It's a universal for all the nations. Boy, that sounds like Eucharist. Mm -hmm. People from every nation come to Mass for Eucharist. We all eat from the same tree of life, Jesus Christ, and his leaves are the hosts, the healing for all the nations. The new tree of life is the cross of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice once for all his own body, this new temple. We're to take and eat of it, for my flesh is real Food. My blood is real drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, even though he dies, he will have everlasting life. So Jesus Christ is the recapitulation of all things. He's making all things new. He's a new tree of life. 
So his death on the cross was always a stumbling block for the Jews. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. They knew that from Deuteronomy 21. His corpse shall not hang all night on a tree, but you shall surely bury him. He who hangs on a tree is cursed by God. But Paul tells the Galatians in 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And in 1 Peter 2.24, Peter says, who he owns, who his own self bears our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. So the cross of Jesus Christ is a new tree of life. And if we remember way back to Genesis, in the garden there's two trees. In the middle of the garden there's two trees, a tree of life and a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, Bruce, question, which tree did Adam and Eve eat from? Uh, The knowledge of good and evil. That's right. And they were supposed to eat from the tree of life. And they were not supposed to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were both virgins standing there, cloaked in original holiness. And God wanted full trust and full relationship with them. All they had to do was trust God. God's very first command to the human race was to be fruitful and multiply. In Genesis 1, God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Now, is that still for us today? We're allowed to eat from the tree of life. I mean, Jesus Christ is the tree of life. What mm-hmm. about what about population control? I mean, the world's running out of food and oil and resources, right? I mean, these we can't trust God with this stuff now. I mean, that was for them back then, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, like now, now we have scientific knowledge <laughs> and we know better. They didn't have. I mean, we live in an age of technology. We can we can write, Bruce. I mean, religions for simpletons. That's to keep people down. The illiterate, the peasants that couldn't read and write. You know what I mean? I mean, we don't have to trust God now with these issues, right? Yeah, right? sure. I mean, of course my, we don't. My fertility is my <laughs> fertility. It's no one's business what choices I make with my body, right? That's not none of God's business. That's, mm. no, that's wrong, <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong. I'm being facetious. We're still supposed to be picking from the tree of life. We're still supposed to be picking from the tree of life. I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious. I'm trying to make a point, but we are called to eat from the tree of life, and we have many life issues before us, and so did Adam and Eve, and so have all men of all time. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of life, and he has come to make all things new, to recreate the world. Romans 8 says, For the anxious longing of creation it waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation was subjected to fertility, not not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of children of God. And so he's just making all things new. We see a new river of life. We see a new tree of life, water and blood flowing from his side. And uh, he's making all things new. He tells us in Revelation 3.20, Behold, he stands at the door, he knocks, and if anyone hears his voice and opens the door, he will come in and dine with him. What are you going to dine on? <laughs> the Eucharist. He wants to eat with us. He wants to dine with us. He wants to invite us to this wedding feast of the Lamb. He wants us to 
pick freely from the tree of life every day. You can go take communion with him at Mass. Every day you can have full communion, body, blood, soul, divinity, the source and summit of our faith, the Eucharistic banquet of the Lamb, the Passover Lamb, the Lamb of God. He told Abraham, I will provide a lamb. And he did, an endless Lamb of God, a tree of life. And uh, Revelation 22, um, last chapter, I believe it is, then he showed me a river. Oh, I think I read that already. Mm-hmm. I did. But but he's just, he's making all things new. He's making all things new. Right after the flood with Noah, when, when God was so disgusted, he, he's going to destroy the whole earth, and he saves Noah's family. He, you know what he commands them the minute they land on dry land? As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth, and increase upon it. This is a gospel of life. This is a recreation. He's ordering Noah and his family to repopulate the earth, be fruitful and multiply. And his ark was a refuge for Noah and his family. And the church is an ark, a refuge for us and our families. Her sacraments are grace-filled, and they will aid us on the road to salvation. That road is narrow and steep. The road to hell is wide and easy. So, so it's Christ who saves us if we just allow him to. If we, if, and, and the safest place we can be is in that ark of the church. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love when Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. So, so th- we say that in the creed, uh, mm-hmm. and, and that act of salvation of freeing the imprisoned spirits is nothing they could do on their own. Christ had to go free them, and Christ has to free us. I love those Orthodox I- icons that show Jesus Christ harrowing the gates of Hades, and he pulls the imprisoned spirits who had died before he had opened the gates of heaven. They're in a holding pattern. They're in Sheol, Adam and Eve, and all the ones, all the patriarchs that had gone on before us. And he, the last ones he pulls out, and those icons are Adam and Eve, and yeah. he grabs them by their wrists because it's nothing they can do of their own accord. They don't grab him. He grabs them by their wrists because it's him who saves. We can't achieve our own salvation. He paid the price. His grace frees us. It's a free gift from God, so none of us can boast. Jesus frees us. He seizes us. He pulls us by the wrist out of the pit of destruction. If we just avail our wrist to him, he will do the work of freeing us. And, and he did it, his redemptive work on the cross. Um, Revelation 2, 7 says, To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And uh, it, you, you will see you see the tree of life in a lot of different forms in artwork. Um, Jesse's tree, right. um, Isaiah eleven. Then a shoot will spring from Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And so you see Jesse at the bottom, and, and that whole line—that's King David's father, all the way up to Jesus Christ. I saw some icons at the Jocelyn, um, the Glory of the Ukraine um, exhibit that I had never seen before, and the prototype came from John fifteen, and it's it's Jesus with a branch, a grape vine coming right out of his side. Uh, that side on the cross that was pierced. There's a vine that, of, of grapes that comes out, wraps around the cross, and drains into a chalice on the other side. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's just beautiful. He is the tree of life. Without him, we can do nothing. His, it is his Eucharist. It is the Eucharist that strengthens us and nourishes us and, and, and enables us for the task that we're all called to do, to spread the gospel, to spread the good news. And so um, anyway... Um, I, I think that's, he's just, he's making all things new. Now let's go, Bruce, to chapter 20 in John. And will you read um, this first 
verse, John 20, verse 1. Mm -hmm. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. All right. So this is the first day of the week. The first day of the Jewish week was Sunday. And this is why Sunday is going to replace Sabbath as the Lord's Day. Sunday, Jesus died on Good Friday. And Mark's gospel tells us that he was um, crucified at 9 a.m. It was the third hour when they crucified him. Mm -hmm. And when the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land. That would have been high noon. And then he died at 3 p.m. And they had to hurry and get his body down and bury it by 6 p.m. because Shabbat, Sabbath started at sundown. And so the women can't go to the tomb on Sabbath. They can't stay. They have to be away from death. There's very strict rules they must adhere to for Sabbath when dealing with the dead. So these myrrh-bearing women are anxious to get there. They've been separated from Christ's body, and they're grief-stricken, and they want to bring spices and anoint his body. So it's very early on Sunday morning when Mary Magdalene awakes. It's still dark. And she gets there before the sun rises. She cannot wait another minute. Yeah. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John's fast. <laughs> he's John, well, he's younger. That's right. Yep. That's right. And and uh, the disciple who Jesus loved, he's already deferring to Peter's billing as leader. Mm-hmm. He respects his authority. He waits. He could have just charged in the tomb, but he waits and lets Peter go first. Right. And at the fifth verse, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Mm. You know, what I think is interesting there is uh, grave robbing was a real problem Mm -hmm. (laughs) at this time. And uh, it was was quite common. And what they would steal was the burial linens because they were woven from flax linen and they had great value. And so they would bleach them white again and resell them. Grave grave robbers would steal burial cloths and leave the body behind. That that was a documented problem in, in the history of that time. And you would never leave the cloths behind. If this was a grave robbing, they would have never left the cloths behind. That's sure. they, they wouldn't take a bloody body and leave the cloths. <laughs> they would have taken the cloths. And also in Matthew 27, um, uh, they had begged um, Pilate to secure the tomb with Roman guard right. because they said, this deceiver, and when he was alive, the deceiver said after three days he'd rise again. So give order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. So that's increased evidence for us. There was not a grave robbing that went on. It was guarded by Roman guard and, and the linens were left behind. Right. And at verse 8 in John 20, finally the other disciple who had reached the term tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Can you imagine? I mean, they're staying mm-hmm. somewhere else. They're hiding out. They're fearful uh, for fear of the Jews. And he goes inside. John immediately believes, just seeing the just seeing the claws lying there, he believes. Uh, Luke's account says that Peter marvels. Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stopping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only. He went away to his home, marveling, marveling at what had happened. So I'm, I'm guessing he's believing too. But they run back to the hideout and tell the anxious others. Now, the men run off, but Mary Magdalene stays. Mm. She is seeking Jesus. She's still seeking Jesus. She doesn't see an empty, she's 
she still wants to stay and she's going to be rewarded for her faithfulness. She stayed at the foot of the cross. She stays here at the tomb Mm -hmm. and she's, she's uh, standing out there crying. Go ahead, Bruce. All right. Uh, As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus's body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Ah, ah, Jesus says, Mary, and she cries out, Rabboni. I mean, she she recognizes him, not by looking at him. She thinks he's the gardener. Well, but when she hears her name, when Jesus calls her by name, Mary believes. Uh, You know, Jesus says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. He doesn't want her to to grab on and touch because he knows he's not staying around. Mm -hmm. He knows this won't be the way that she can have full recognition of him anymore. She can't cling to him. He doesn't want her to have physical communion with his physical body. He wants her to have spiritual communion with his spiritual spiritual body. He wants Mary to eat from the tree of life. And many artists have tried to capture this. My favorite is Titian in uh, Do not touch me. Do not Mm -hmm. touch. Stop clinging to me for I have not yet ascended to my father. But she will be able to cling to Jesus and so can we in full communion in the Eucharist. She will, she'll, she'll soon be experiencing that Eucharist. But who does Mary mistake Jesus for? Uh, The gardener. Yeah, and who was the very first gardener? Adam. That's right. This is the new Adam. This is a new creation. This is a recapitulation. He's making all things new again. And, uh, you know, when Adam... Uh, when God made Adam to, and, and uh, he, he put him in the garden to cultivate and keep it. But after Adam and Eve fall, uh, he, Adam doesn't protect the garden. He doesn't protect the garden. He doesn't shamar the garden. And the snake slithers by right to Eve. And after they fall, God says, cursed is the ground because you now you're going to have to work with thorns and thistles. But Jesus is the new gardener, the new Adam. He's making all things new. Initially, Mary doesn't recognize him. Just like those disciples on the way to Emmaus we talked about, they don't recognize him. But when he calls her by name, and just when God calls us by name, and he does, he calls each of us by name, Bruce, Mary, Nancy, you know, Jim, Bob, whoever you are out there, he's calling you by name. We can have new life in Christ. The new life won't look the same. Back in in, um, John uh, chapter 9, when he heals the blind man, and people say, who's this guy? Didn't he used to be blind? No, that's not the one. We look different. New creation in Christ looks different. People don't recognize us. I'm sure when St. Paul had that dramatic conversion, people said, where's Saul? Mm -hmm. What have you done with him? He looked different. He looked different. A new creation looks different. When you live a new life in Christ, you look different. You act different. People might not recognize you because you're a new man in Christ. You've been called by name and you've got a job to do. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Amen. And this is the time to be new. Put on Jesus Christ. Put on the risen Christ. You know, well yeah, absolutely. And, and and see him in fullness in the word and the Eucharist. We have it all. We have it all at our disposal. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, risen Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. New life. Yes, indeed.